0: Well, good morning again, everyone. It's so good to be together. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting on my couch in my living room and I witnessed a life-changing moment. My wife, Julie, was working on some basic phonics with one of our five-year-old twins, Nate. She was showing him again how the sounding of letters together could create words, and I saw his face light up. This moment where the barrier that was in the way of reading vanished, and the words started to make sense. It was such a beautiful sight to see that epiphany happen in real time. Nate proceeded to run across and grab a piece of paper, and for the next hour was writing out words and showing us. this beautiful... Moment where his eyes were opened to a whole new world, a whole new world. In the resurrection account, there's this breakthrough moment where God, the resurrected Christ, breaks through the despair and the discouragement and opens the eyes of these women at the tomb to this new reality. A reality of hope, a reality with the possibility of new life. And what I just want to notice for a couple of minutes of, is how their eyes are opened in this scene and how God might work to open our eyes to a bigger reality this morning as well. Contrary to what we might initially think, when the angel removes the stone from the tomb, it is not to let Jesus out, but to let the women in. It's not as if Jesus defeated the power of death but couldn't quite budge that stone. (laughs) No, we read as the text goes on that the angel moved aside the stone so that the women could be led in to see the signs of resurrection in their midst. And I've been thinking about this image of removing the stones that get in the way of us seeing a bigger picture of God, of seeing signs of resurrection in our midst. And I've just been wondering what some of those stones are that are getting in the way of us seeing a bigger reality. Matthew 28 is full of all kinds of examples of some of the barriers that sometimes block our vision, that get in the way of us seeing signs of hope. This is a very real text, a very raw text that speaks to the depths of our own human experience. Sometimes I think the, the, the stone of fear needs to be rolled away so that we can step out in courage and see God. The word afraid shows up four times in ten verses. The women are afraid. The guards are afraid. The angel says, don't be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's interesting what we notice in in verse 8, that the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Isn't that an interesting combination of emotions? Afraid yet filled with joy. This reminds me that sometimes on the route, even to good things or positive changes in our life, there can be fear that can hold us back. Maybe you've felt that intermingling of fear and joy when you said your wedding vows, when you signed the contract on your first house, Sometimes stepping out into the unknown comes with some risks some fear that could potentially block the deeper reality that God wants to open us up to there are all kinds of fears as we step out in faith fear of failure fear of what people will think fear of the unknown fear of change you know sometimes the block to faith isn't just an intellectual block it's an emotional block it's a social block if you keep reading Matthew 28 we notice that the chief priests and the guards come up with all kinds of excuses to try and squash the story of hope the story of resurrection because they are afraid They're afraid to let go of the status quo, to let go of the control that they have, the status that they have. This is going to have implications for them financially. All these things, all these fears are causing them to miss the hope of a bigger story. And I just wonder if today some of us can feel some fear as, as we step into the unknown, as we contemplate the possibility that life could be different. Another stone that I think needs to be rolled away at times so that we can see God more clearly is, is the stone of doubt. If you keep reading Matthew 28, it's really notable at the end of, of, verse, uh, at the end of chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. This is Jesus' inner core, his core disciples, where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, some doubted. I'm so grateful that the gospel includes that detail. It normalizes the reality that doubt is part of the journey of faith. As we step out into faith, as we ask these big questions about reality, as we encounter all these things that are so unfathomable and mysterious, it is normal for us to have big questions. And I I just acknowledge that perhaps some of us come today and we're feeling doubtful about the claims of the Christian story. Maybe you're here with family or this is just an annual tradition, and I just want to say you are welcome here. You're part of the story, and maybe that's an important part of your story. I actually think it takes faith to ask hard questions and to step into those doubts that we have. It's a space I've been in. I know many of us have walked through those seasons where we're wrestling with big questions. That's part of the journey of faith, of deepening faith. I also wonder if there's some regret in the background here. That might be a block for some of these disciples. Just two chapters earlier, we see that Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies him. The disciples abandon him. And I wonder when they hear of this good news, if, if in their own hearts there's, there's this cloud of shame, this cloud of, of regret, knowing that they struggled to live into their ideals, they lacked moral courage. In the Gospel of John, after Peter encounters the resurrected Christ, he goes back to his old life as a fisherman. And I wonder what was just going through his mind as he is out on the ocean that night, out on the sea that night, just wondering if he's blown it, if this story of good news doesn't expand to him if he's too far gone. I wonder if regret sometimes is a block for us, a stone that needs to be removed so that we might encounter hope and encounter some good news. What I want to just notice for a couple minutes here is how God works to roll those stones away. And I think one of the ways that God rolls the stone away so that we can see the signs of God is through a word of grace. God's grace helps break down the barriers of regret and shame and the weakness, the the feeling of not being enough. Look at how, how Jesus describes these disciples that have just betrayed him and abandoned him. He says to the women, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. I just noticed that word, brothers. He doesn't call them cowards and failures. He doesn't even call them disciples. He calls them brothers. Do you hear the love in that? I want to welcome you back into fellowship. In spite of your struggles, in spite of your failures, I want to reestablish relationship with you. What a beautiful word, brothers. I think we also need to notice that the sisters are here. (laughs) That's really significant to me that the women take such a prominent role in the resurrection story. That they are the first preachers of the good news. They are the ones that are commissioned to bear witness to the resurrection. This would be startling to ancient readers. In the ancient world, women were pushed to the margins, particularly in religious life. Craig Keener, in his commentary, says, the women are chosen as the first witnesses. That they're chosen is highly significant. The surrounding culture considered their witness worthless. But Jesus, throughout the gospel, has centered those on the margins. He brings in the children. He brings in the poor. He brings in the foreigner. He brings in the women and says, you will have a place in the kingdom. Do you hear the grace in that, sisters? There's a word of hope to those who have been said that you do not belong, that you are going to be part of this story. And I just want to extend that word of grace to you today. Perhaps there are some scripts reverberating in your mind today saying that I'm not enough or that I'm a failure. And I just want God to break through that. And I want you to hear this invitation. Come, brothers and sisters, I welcome you. I extend forgiveness and grace to you. That's such a hopeful part of the story. Or maybe you've been told and heard scripts from other people that said, you don't belong, or you need to stay on the margins. And maybe you want to hear again that good word that God has an expansive grace, and he wants to draw you into the center of the story. Maybe you were a once-believing disciple that have just slowly drifted away. Can you hear again that invitation of God? He says, brothers, sisters, come. I want to reestablish relationship with you. Can we let that grace break down that barrier that sometimes we feel between us and God? I think sometimes the stone that is a barrier between us and seeing the hope of resurrection is rolled away as we step out in faith, as we step out in faith. It's really interesting to me that Jesus tells his disciples to go to Galilee They're all in Jerusalem, and and yet he says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Why Galilee? Galilee's actually quite a long walk. It would have been 20 hours of walking. You would have thought Jerusalem would have been the place to make a big (laughs) re-entry, shame all those naysayers. Let's make a big spectacle. But he says, no, come away to this quiet, down-and-out, humble town of Galilee. There you will see me. Why does Jesus call us to go on a journey? There's a couple things in this that I think significant. One is I think we see God as we step out on a journey. As we step out on faith, that God begins to reveal God's self more to us. There's so much movement in the Gospel of Matthew. Five times we hear this call: "Come and follow." I've shared this before, but it's just so significant how we learn about God. Theology, the original definition is faith-seeking understanding. And I used to flip it. I think sometimes we flip it. We think we have to have understanding so that we can have faith. I've got to get it all figured out, and then I'll take a step. But it's actually the other way around. As I step into the unknown, with my questions, with my doubts, with my fears, God begins to reveal God's self more closely to us. So can I invite us to just step out, take those steps towards God, step into community, step into spiritual practice, even though we don't see yet. And as we do so, I think God becomes clear to us on the journey, on the way. I also just think that Galilee is such a significant geography it's a quieter place. It's a humbler place. I wonder if God is calling us into quieter places where we can actually hear his voice. Do we need to get away from the flurry of our Jerusalems that are just drowning out our capacity to hear the still small voice of God? Galilee was a humble place, and, and we know that Jesus spends his time in low places. Is God calling us to the weak, to those on the margins? Will we see God in those lowly places? Where is your Galilee? Where can you see and hear from God more clearly? The stone begins to roll away as we step out into the unknown, as we step out in faith. I think the stone is rolled away as we step into community with one another. At the end of Matthew 28, at the end of the Great Commission, we read, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we don't pick up on it in the English language, but this word you is a plural you. I am with you all always to the very end of the age. Now, I do believe that God is with us personally as we pray and as we worship. But I believe we see God more clearly when we are together in community. Community has the capacity to open up a bigger vision of God because other people see things that we don't see. C.S. Lewis speaks to this in his book, The Four Loves, and he talks about how community expands our vision. He was close friends with two other famous fantasy writers, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, who he called Ronald, the Lord of the, from Lord of the Rings fame, and Charles Williams. And the three of them had this close bond, and at one point, Charles died. And this is what C.S. Lewis noticed. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. I don't even know what that is. Only Charles knows. Far from having more of Ronald... Having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend not less, but more as the number of those with whom we share him increases. And this is what then C.S. Lewis does. The same thing happens in our spiritual journey. We possess God not less, but more as the number of those with whom we share God increases. There are things that your Christian friends see that you do not see. There are experiences that others have had that that flesh out a bigger picture that our limited single mind cannot fully fathom. And so it is as we are with in community that God is present. I wonder if God wants to call us back into community. Are you feeling isolated in your spiritual journey? Who are those companions that can help flesh out a bigger picture, pull out facets of God that you alone cannot see? Surely I am with you all. Always to the very end of the age. The last thing I just want to share today is that the stone is ultimately rolled back as we encounter the resurrected Christ ourselves. Knowing about Christ is different than knowing about other historical figures because we believe that Christ is alive. That Christ is actually in our midst, even here and now. And so studying about Jesus Christ is going to look different than studying about Abraham Lincoln. Because we believe in faith that Christ has risen from the dead. And what that means is that we know God not just intellectually. We don't just study him as an idea, as this historic fact, this historic person. But as we open the scriptures, we ask that the Spirit of God would touch our hearts and open our eyes to the very real presence of God in our midst. And friends, this gives me so much hope as a preacher. (laughs) Because it reminds me that it's not up to me today to roll the stone away. There are limits to compelling arguments to rhetorical skills. I simply come today to you as a witness. And I just trust that the resurrected Christ in our midst might meet us as we turn our hearts to him in worship and prayer. I simply come today as a witness and I say he is risen. He is risen indeed. I pray that the resurrected Christ would reach out to you. He reaches out to you with a word of grace. Brothers, sisters, come reestablish fellowship with me. Come on a journey. Step out even in your fear and doubts and you will see me. Step into community. Come and be in the community of faith for I am surely with you all always. And so today we just simply lift up this hope, trusting that the resurrected Christ might meet us in our fear, in our doubt, in our regret. Today, friends, I simply declare to you that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Gracious God, I pray that you might meet us and roll those stones away that get in the way of us seeing the possibility of hope, the possibility of grace, the possibility of new life. Would you give us the courage to step out on a journey with you? Show us, Lord, what our next step is whether that's a step of faith to call upon you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, some of us maybe want to do that now. For those of us who were once believing disciples who have maybe drifted, God, maybe our next step is to, to come back into community. For those of us wrestling with faith and doubt, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to step out, move towards you. And Lord, in your power and your grace, would you reveal yourself to our hearts. We pray this in faith and in hope For you are risen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.